Good morning, everybody. I'm just going to move that. So here we are, it's the end of August, oh my goodness, we are getting, getting to the end of the summer, I don't know how you feel about that. I work in a school, so I'm really fortunate to have a huge long break over the summer and I always have that kind of dread when September's coming round again and um, it's, it's a hard time of year from that point of view because you've kind of been resting over the summer, hopefully most of you have had a bit of a break from kind of busyness in one way or another, whatever that's looked like for you. But then there's that kind of, oh gosh, it's time to start gearing up again and start thinking ahead. You know, in the notices, we were thinking ahead to what's going to be happening in September for us as a church and maybe in our own lives. We've got things that are coming up in September and in the next season ahead. Um, and although I find that hard, I do quite like that sense of new beginnings and hope and a fresh start. It's a bit like, like the new year, um, but it's the new school year, academic year. And maybe for, for the life of the church, it's kind of the new season as well. And I think there are real parallels um, for us in that kind of looking forward to a new season as there were for the, the people of Israel that Joshua was speaking to. So Joshua is approaching the end of his life as we catch up with him um, in this chapter. We've been, we've been looking through the book of Joshua over the summer, if you've been around. Um, we've looked at how the people entered the promised land and some of the battles that the Lord has been fighting for them. And then we haven't looked at it, but what has also happened is that Joshua has then divided up this new territory and settled the different tribes in their different regions and they're kind of settled now in the land and Joshua knows that he's about to die and as we as we join him this morning he's he's kind of giving his last impartation of wisdom to the people and as we listen in I'm hoping that we can be challenged and encouraged um, as we look towards our new season as well. So what happens is that Joshua, um, he kind of adopts a structure that would have been quite familiar to the people of Israel. So um, <clears throat> in this time, treaties were quite a, a common thing going on. So whenever a, a king would conquer a new people, they would make a treaty. So the king and his conquered people would make a treaty, and there was a fairly standard structure. So there'd be... Um, looking back as what, to what has happened, how they've got to this point in time, thinking about, well, what are the requirements of both people in this treaty? And then there'd be some kind of formalization or ratifying of that treaty. And that's what Joshua, that's the kind of structure that he's following in this chapter. So we can kind of follow along with that. And uh, what he's described is the relationship between the people and God. <clears throat> and the word, the really important word, is covenant. That's the kind of theme of this chapter. But it's, it's a theme in the whole of the Bible. The whole story of the Bible can be hung on this theme of covenant, right back from Noah and Abraham in Genesis through to Moses and David, and then the new covenant, which is the fulfillment of all of the stuff, the old covenant, the fulfillment in Jesus. 
And it's a, it's a way of holding together this beautiful narrative of the Bible as God uh, repairs over and over again the relationship between himself and his people, the broken relationship. And covenant's not really a term that we use very much, is it? It's, it's kind of like means a, a working agreement, an arrangement. Um, and it's a bit like a contract, but it's much more relational. It's much more based on trust and people than um, kind of an a inanimate thing. And it's binding the two parties together with a mutual promises to each other and for a common goal. And the amazing thing about the story of the Bible is that it shows us that God is a covenant God. He's a God who makes and keeps promises. That's an incredible thing to have a God like that, a God who's dependable and trustworthy, who binds himself to us in relationship. He says things like, I will be your God and you will be my people. And I don't know if you remember when Jesus was with the disciples in the upper room the night before he died. He talks about, uh, he's giving the, um, the disciples the wine and he says, this is my blood of the new covenant. He's anticipating his death on the cross, which is going to establish the new covenant. There's not going to be any more animal sacrifices or priestly mediation needed. So that's the kind of sweep of the whole story of covenant through the Bible. And given that it's such an important aspect of God's relationship with his people, let's see what Joshua is going to show us about the nature of covenant that is going to help us this morning as we look to this new season. So the first thing we're going to see um, all the way through from verse 2 all the way up to verse 13 this is kind of the, the, the rehearsing, the story of the people of Israel. And we're going to see the covenant is a covenant of grace. It's initiated by God, it's maintained by God, and it's a covenant of grace. It's all his initiation. I don't know if you noticed, as Wendy was reading, the really striking thing is the number of times it says, I, I, I did this, I did this, I did this. That's God speaking. It was all God's story. It was all his doing. Everything from um, establishing the people of Israel in the first place when he chose Abraham, to uh, getting them out of Egypt when they were in slavery, to sustaining them in the desert, and as they entered the promised land, the whole story is an incredible story of undeserved favor from God. And as Joshua recalls how their story has gone, he walks through the different events and we get a glimpse of the different ways of God in their lives. And maybe you can see some parallels between the ways of God in your life and start to kind of join the dots. So one of the first things we see in verse 3, um, we see that God is actually an incredibly slow-paced God. I love this. It's, it's almost a little bit comical. He says, I took your father Abraham um, gave him, uh, and led him throughout Canaan and gave him many descendants 
I gave him Isaac. Well, that's not many descendants. I gave him one, and that took a very long time. If you remember from the promise to when Isaac was born was, I think, around about 25 years. It wasn't a quick thing. So I gave him many descendants. I gave him Isaac. Okay, but then he carries on. I gave, him, I gave Isaac, Jacob, and Esau. So, okay, we've got one, and then Isaac has two children. It's like, I think if I was going to make a nation, I might, like, you know give him 20 children, and they could each have 20 children, and there you are, you've got 400 straight away. But no, it it's, gives him one, and then two grandchildren. So it's a slow thing. I don't know about you, but I recognize that in my life. Do you? God can work incredibly slowly, so much so that sometimes we even miss his faithfulness because it, it's so gradual see it. And we need to... Look back and see where we've come from and where he's brought us to before we can kind of really see the extent of his faithfulness. So he's slow. The other thing we see is that things don't always go in a straight line. Things don't always work out exactly how we'd plan them. So we see in this narrative, the people of Israel end up in slavery in Egypt. How... How was that part of the plan to make a great nation who were going to bless all the other nations? They're in slavery in Egypt. Things don't always go in a straight line. We also see that he's powerful. God can intervene in power, particularly when the people are helpless. So when they're trapped and need to cross uh, the Red Sea, he parts the Red Sea. When they're in slavery, he gets them out. When they're totally helpless and can't do anything themselves. I don't know, I don't know if you recognize that. I know I do. It's when I feel totally out of control, totally unable to do anything to help myself. That's when I see God step in and do what I thought was impossible. And God's protected them. He's provided for them. So many different ways we see God at work in that short history of the, of the people of Israel. And so many ways that we can see God at work in our lives too. It's an incredible litany of like grace upon grace upon grace, which Joshua reminds them of. And then for us, of course, grace upon grace has continued all the way from Joshua through to where we are living now, to the extraordinary extent that we get to know that God has sent his son Jesus to die for us, to make us children of the King of Kings, to provide a way for us to be in relationship with God in a way that would have been unimaginable for the people of Israel. So we can just step into the presence of God whenever we choose. We can know that our sins are forgiven when we repent. We can experience God's love and goodness to us in so many ways. The people of Israel would have thought it was scandalous, the relationship that we have with God. It's incredible. It's grace upon grace. And I wonder, just as Joshua 
did on this day, whether God is asking us this morning just to rehearse some of the grace in our lives, to remember what he's done for us. From the moment he rescued us, he took us and saved us, however that happened for you, if it has happened for you yet. Maybe that hasn't happened for you yet, and that's something you might want to think about today. Just the fact that you're here this morning is a sign of God's grace on your life. Maybe looking back at some of the crisis points where it felt like you had no power but you saw God come. Maybe some of the times when you know you have messed up so badly but God has forgiven you and you've known the freedom and the grace that he offers. And I wonder as you, maybe some of those things are coming into your mind. Do you sense that kind of gratitude and the wonder of God's grace rising up in your heart again? We talk about amazing grace, don't we? But amazing grace can easily lose its wonder. It can become a bit stale for us and we can begin to take it for granted. It's a little bit like we we got a brand new pizza oven in lockdown. I don't know if anyone else did that. There was a big queue for pizza ovens in lockdown. And it was amazing. It is amazing. But, you know, we don't use it quite as much as we used to. Um, And it's got a little bit stuck in the shed this summer. Um, We forget, don't we? Things lose their sparkle. And grace is like that. And we need to stir up the wonder of God's grace in our hearts. So that's the first thing, the covenant, our relationship with God is all God's initiation of grace, his undeserved favour. The second thing that Joshua wants uh, to remind the people here is that the covenant challenges us. It's a challenge and it's a challenge to wholeheartedness and we see that in verses 14 to 24 in this passage. So he starts off, verse 14, now. So he's saying, in the light of all that amazing grace of God, now what's our part? Well, these are the the stipulations, the conditions, if you like, of this covenant between God and his people. And what Joshua said is, now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. And there are two things that Joshua highlights. Verse 14, he says, Throw away the gods your forefathers worshipped beyond the river. Throw away the false gods. And then in verse 23, he says that again, but he says, Yield your hearts to Yahweh. Throw away the false gods and yield your hearts to Yahweh. So throwing away the false gods is chucking out all the stuff in our lives that is not um, from God. Anything that comes above God in our lives, we need to chuck it out without reserve. We, we were looking last week at um, Achan, if you remember Johnny was preaching, um, and the effect that sin had in his life and the life of the community We need to get rid of sin in our lives, stuff that we sometimes start to tolerate. We get used to it. And Joshua is calling the people and us to a radical repentance 
and a single-heartedness, a single-mindedness following after God. There's no tolerance here for kind of hedging our bets, trying to please the world, keep a foot in both worlds. Joshua is saying, make your choice. Throw away the stuff that is getting in the way. And actually, Jesus taught exactly the same thing in the Sermon on the Mount, where he talked about if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and throw it away. He uses the same language, throw it away. And I wonder if the Holy Spirit is whispering to you this morning about something that you need to throw away. I know he has been to me as I've been preparing this. Don't mess with things that take your focus off Jesus. So, throwing away the things that are holding us back and yielding our hearts to him is the second thing, the second challenge this morning from Joshua. To be fully devoted to the Lord every day of our lives. It's a surrender, isn't it? And it's as though Joshua is saying to the people, God can be your everything or he can be your nothing, but he's not okay with being your side hustle, your kind of part-time part-time leisure activity, whatever it is, your safety net, your plan B. He wants us to live fully surrendered, fully yielded, so that we can be a blessing to our neighbours and our friends and the people around us who need to know his love. I don't know if you watch house makeover programs on TV. I love them. I love them. So DIY SOS and um, oh, what are the other? Oh, Your House Made Perfect. All of those ones. Anybody else like those? Yeah. What I love is seeing the kind of, you know, so-so houses. They're actually okay, some of them. Some of them, not so much. But they, they get this makeover and they look beautiful. And... and think, wow, I'd love to live in a house like that, but it's never going to happen, but that's okay. I'm content with what God has given me. It's fine. Um, but it's great, isn't it, to see what a change can happen. I think we may have a picture of a before and after. This, this is like a caravan. I've been campervanning this, this summer, so this was kind of close to my heart. This is a, a caravan before, so it's got dirt and grime and rubbish. And then after the makeover, here we are, beautiful interior. Wouldn't you like to sit in that caravan? It's all very lovely and clean and beautiful. Do you know, that's, that's a kind of tiny picture of what God is wanting to do in our lives. So what they've done, they've taken the mess and the grime and they've cleaned it up and they've made it beautiful, how it was always intended to be. And that's what God wants to do in our lives. As we throw away the stuff that gets in the way, as we surrender to him, he wants to, he wants to make us more beautiful and more useful and more uh, engaging to those around us. That's his heart for us. He sees how he longs us to be. That's his vision for us. And that's the process that we're on as we grow more and more like Jesus. 
And it's not, sadly, an instant transformation like that. You know, on the programs, it's just boom, 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 all done. Everybody comes in and they have a little cry because it's so lovely. Sadly, it's not quite like that in our lives. It's a long and slow process of gradually growing more like Jesus. But it starts with a decision to throw away the stuff that holds us back and yielding our hearts to Jesus. So the covenant is a covenant of grace initiated by God, but it's a covenant that challenges us to wholeheartedness. And then the last thing we see is it's a covenant that needs to be renewed, which Joshua does in verse 25, the very last verse that we read. On that day, Joshua made a covenant for the people and drew up decrees and laws. So he's renewing the covenant between them and God. And here he is at this kind of pivot point in the life of the nation of Israel as as Joshua, as their leader, is about to die. He's wanting them to renew their pledge to follow the Lord in this season. And of course, Joshua himself, the the kind of famous verse in this passage, isn't it? At the end of verse 15, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. He's saying, I'm going to follow the Lord, whatever the rest of you do. I've made up my mind. And he's asking us to do the same. And it's so relevant in these days we live in, where serving Lord is a minority pursuit, isn't it? In our, in our culture, in our workplaces, in our schools, in our families maybe. It's a minority pursuit and one that will lead us into conflict with people around us, inevitably, with people who have very different views and values from us. It will make us stand out following the Lord. So like Joshua, we need to resolve to be faithful to the covenant of grace, even when it makes us look different. And of course, to some extent, we renew that covenant every day when we come and spend time with Jesus, just one-on-one. That's when we say to him, here I am today, Lord. I'm choosing to follow you today. What have you got for me? I want to be obedient to you today. So it's something we do every day. It's a daily renewal. And of course, every time we take communion, we're remembering that new covenant that we are part of. But maybe as we enter this new season, as the summer finishes and we think about what is coming for us uh, personally, for us as a community, This might be a good time to renew our allegiance to Jesus together, to choose to wholeheartedly serve him and worship him in this season. And for some here, it may even be a time to make that step for the very first time, to say, yes, I'm in. I'm going to follow Jesus. I've decided. I've been thinking about it for a while, and I'm going to do it. And there's a great prayer that the Methodists use. They often do it at New Year, but it's for any time of year. And it's just a way of formalizing that commitment. Um, Joshua, in this passage, he, he reminds the people not to make hasty decisions, not to jump into things that they can't 
follow through. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to, um, the prayer's going to come up on the screen and I'm just going to give you a moment to read through it. It's quite a serious, solemn prayer, a kind of covenant-making moment between you and God. And I don't want any of you to say it if, if you're not ready to say it. That's absolutely fine. And uh, that would be what Joshua would say too. Don't promise anything that you're not wanting to follow through on. But I'm going to give you a, a couple of minutes just to read through it and to think about um, whether that's something that you want to pray this morning as, as we look at the new season and recommit to following Jesus. So I'm going to give you a moment um, and then I will lead us in praying that prayer if you'd like to. If you don't want to, please don't feel any pressure whatsoever. Um, I, I'm going to suggest uh, that in a minute we uh, either stay sitting or you might want to kneel as you pray this. It's, it's a kind of prayer of submission and um, surrender to God. So kneeling, if you're able, is a good posture in which to do that. So I will be quiet while you have a look at that prayer. So if you would like to join in praying that prayer, I'm going to lead us now. Do um, feel free to sit or kneel. I'm going to kneel here. Um, Let's join together. I am no longer my own, but yours. Put me to what you will. Rank me with whom you will. Put me to doing. Put me to suffering. Let me be employed for you or laid aside for you. Exalted for you or brought low for you. Let me be full. Let me be empty. Let me have all things. Let me have nothing. I freely and wholeheartedly yield all things to your pleasure and disposal. And now, glorious and blessed God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are mine and I am yours. So be it and the covenant now made on earth, let it be ratified in heaven.
Amen.